the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and your host for the See What the Game podcast. Well, timing is everything. Just a few hours before sitting down with Brad Geiger and Neil Langland to tape our latest podcast, five-star cornerback prospect Cormani McLean verbally committed to play for Coach Prime at Colorado. While McLean, one of the highest-rated recruits in CU history, can't officially become a buff until February 1st, his verbal commitment gives us the opportunity to talk about what McLean means to the 2023 roster, what his announcement means to the national perception of the CU program, and what his signing could mean to help CU recruit additional star power for the class of 2024 and beyond. We then move on to discuss the tidal wave of new talent coming into the Champion Center this fall. Coach Prime and his staff have now replaced over half of the roster from the 2022 season with more additions and more subtractions to come. How do the coaches keep the team from fracturing into an us-versus-them locker room? Can CU construct a starting lineup just from the incoming players? Are CU fans expecting too much from the transfers, many of whom are from Power 5 conference schools, but few of whom were multiple-year starters at their former schools? We'll also lean into the question of the transfer portal and how C will find a way back to 85 scholarship players by the start of fall camp. Our final segment is a discussion about the recently released Pac-12 schedule. C will open its conference schedule on the road against Oregon, then return home to face USC. Is this a move to punish CU and its flamboyant new head coach? Or is this just the Pac-12 grabbing for as much television revenue from a hiring of Coach Prime as it can early in the season. There are many adjectives to describe what has happened with the CU football program since Coach Sanders was hired on December 4th, but dull is not one of them. What impact will the latest commitment have on the future of the program? Is the CU 2023 schedule one of numerous opportunities? Or is it a baton death march? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back in the new year, episode two for 2023. Welcome back, Mr. Brad Geiger in Highlands Ranch. How are things going down there? Been good. It's snowier January than we expect, but uh, otherwise pretty good. Okay, and rising above it all from downtown Denver, Neil Langland. How's January treating you so far? Well, fine. Good evening, Brad. Good evening, Stuart. 
Uh, downtown's fine. And I do want to report a powder day yesterday at my favorite spot. Had about eight or nine inches of fresh stuff. Very nice. Very nice. Well, you know, Bridger Bowl and uh, Big Sky are waiting for you anytime you want to make the pilgrimage to uh, to see some real powder. But... <laughs> well, it's getting to be champagne season here. So. Okay. Well, we've got uh, plenty to talk about with regards to the University of Colorado football. Uh, the most important news of the day, the week, and perhaps the month is the commitment. We'll have to wait, of course, till February 1st to actually have a signature. But the commitment of five-star cornerback Cormani McLean out of Lakeland, Florida, uh, Brad, what was your initial reaction to uh, this long sought after recruit and the, the drama that went with it? You know, when he when when he did not announce his uh, signing on signing day, we all kind of thought that. Well, at least we were told this was some kind of possibility. And, you know, having been burned more than once on possibilities for five stars. I was certainly not holding my breath, but as it went on and it continued, it just felt like maybe there was a chance. Now that's weird because of course there literally any program in FBS or FCS would take this kid. He is that highly regarded. He is that skillful. Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio state, all would have been glad to have this guy in his class. And he's, going to be in boulder next fall and that's almost mind-bending to me yes according to 24 7 sports he's the third highest prep recruit in cu history behind of course marcus houston and daryl scott which is those didn't end up well but no. uh you know hope springs eternal well neil i mean the saga with this young man he was a Miami recruit. He was a Miami commit, planned on signing early signing day, mid-December, was going to be signing with Miami. There's the famous picture of the cake that they had there at this high school, and then he was a no-show. Other schools, you know, certainly Florida was in play, Alabama was in play, even for some reason BYU was in play. Not sure how that came about, but we're talking about the consensus number one cornerback in the country. Number three overall player in the country, according to rivals, number nine, according to 24-7 sports. What is your reaction to, I'll just read you the evaluation real quick from 24-7 sports. A new age cornerback prospect that has a chance to be a difference maker at football's highest levels, given his rare blend of size, length, and speed. Started prep career playing primarily the wide receiver before he thrust in action on the defensive side of the ball. Excellent right away as a perimeter defender against top Sunshine State competition, picking off nine passes as a sophomore and 10 more as a junior. What do you uh, think about the idea that Coach Prime can get the number one recruit, cornerback recruit in the country? First of all, to flip, this is being Travis Hunter, to flip from Florida State to Jackson State and now getting the number one cornerback recruit in the country to flip from Miami to the University of Colorado. I'm dumbfounded. Holy expletive here. It's 
beyond any expectation we had. You mentioned Marcus Houston and Daryl Scott. This guy is right behind him in terms of star ratings. And the re reason those two guys didn't quite pan out, right, was that the coaching staff didn't know how to handle a guy like that. I don't think that's going to be a problem with Coach Crime. I think he's going to know how to relate to these kids and be able to bring them along, keep them happy, and keep them challenged. So I think we're not only getting a good guy, but we have a good chance of this guy developing to the full potential. Um, the next thing about Coach Prime is that this is like getting to be an on-campus party that you can't miss, is these kids are probably on the Coconut Telegraph talking to each other. It's like, guys, it's happening in Boulder. You got to come because you're missing something. So it's what economists would call a network externality is that, or a critical mass is once we get a, a nucleus of elite recruits, more guys want to join that mix and be a part of what's going to happen here in the next two to four years. So it's amazing. And I can't think of another coach in CU history that did it, perhaps McCartney did, but certainly not in his first year. This is unprecedented. This is amazing. CU fans, sit back and enjoy this ride. Yes. Well, I think that's, I think a lot of Buff fans are, the expectations continue to grow, or at least we're enjoying it. The best off-season CU has had in decades. Well, Brad, the NIL debate, I don't know if you were following much of that, that, you know, the same pundits that were saying that CU, you know, couldn't afford to pay Deion Sanders' salary, turned around and said that this was all about NIL money. Well, McLean's mother, you know, said if it was about NIL money, we could have gone anywhere in the country. This is not about NIL. And I doubt that there was any NIL contracts offered to a Mr. McLean that would rival any, any school in Florida or the SEC or any other of the major powers. So it certainly was about NIL. So is it just because Coach Prime is the Hall of Fame cornerback, or do you think that this is going to be like Neil suggested, this is going to spread? Well, I mean, it, it's already spread. There is zero chance that Travis Hunter was not on text strings with Cormani McLean. I mean, that's just the way this works nowadays. Um, and yeah, NIL matters to some kids. There are some kids who are going to take the most dollars that Texas A&M can offer. But there's also going to be kids and families who are willing to go have fun. I mean, we saw kids in other circumstances turn down what did Florida offer the, the quarterback 14, supposedly 13, 14 million dollars? 13 million dollars, yeah. To go somewhere else. Because guys like Cormani McLean know that the money is in the NFL. And, you know, as Prime said, we're not thinking NIL, we're thinking NFL. And the reality is this if you're a defensive back and you got a chance to go learn from Deion Sanders every day, you're probably going to at least think about it. And once you get Hunter and McClain, then the rest of the DBs show up. And then it's like, hey, dude, they've got your back. Why don't you come rush the passer for us? There is a, uh, there is a, a 
snowball rolling downhill. I don't like to use that with Neil, who likes to fall down hills. <laughs> I'm a snowball rolling downhill. Yes. <laughs> Stop, drop, and roll. Um, yes. We... Uh, effective for this. And, you know, we've been talking. One thing that we talked about in the last podcast is some of this has changed for the sake of change. That team last year was so bad. We just getting anybody new mattered. But some of this is just a massive upgrade in talent. And this is an amazing example of that. Yeah. Well, the, the numbers seem to be bearing it out, Neil, in terms, I'll give you the, the class ranks for, and this is just not even, you know, forget the transfer portal where Colorado is in the top five in the country in the transfer portal and may end up with close to the number one class overall by the time they're done. But high school rankings, these are the two Carl Durrell classes. 2021 ranked 63rd in rivals, 64th in 24-7 sports. 2022, 45th in rivals and 47th in 24-7 sports. Currently, and this is a relatively small class. There's 18 to 22, depending on which way you're, you're measuring this class. 25th in the country at rivals, 19th in the country. And again, that's no transfers. That's just talking about the freshman class at the University of Colorado. Did you think that even Deion Sanders, because the freshman class, remember he was hired December 4th and early signing day was, you know, two weeks later, well, two and a half weeks, 21st. And now here we are looking at mid-January and he was able to put together a top 25 recruiting class. What does that tell you about what he was able to do with his coaching staff and the potential for, you know, the class of 2024? Well, let's get into the Wayback Machine and go through the past three or four coaching hires when they've happened about this time of year. And what CU fans were telling each other was, well, he just got here. He hasn't had a chance to do any recruiting. So we're going to have to satisfy ourselves with a class in the 50s or 60s, but it's going to get better. Well, we're the opposite end of that spectrum now, which is short time frame. He's been able to put together not just a talented roster that has some peak performers, but one that has breadth into almost each position group and with some depth within those groups. For example, the wide receivers, I was taking a look at that list of names. We've got, what, seven or eight new guys coming in. Plus we have a couple of holdovers from last time. Incredible. Now with the secondary, we've got cornerbacks, slide corners, and people that can adapt and play safety. They're, I would say, almost as deep as the wide receiver group uh, and probably overall more talented. It's incredible what the coach has been able to do. Again, this is unprecedented. And just an example of what Coach Prime brings is that I heard, and I can't remember if it was video or audio, a story of Miami, of the U tradition of current pros coming back for the summer workout program and being part of the hazing and part of the initiation process at the U. And I thought, well, with that kind of tradition is there's no chance we're going to get McLean. None whatsoever. That's going to be a very attractive thing is having those pro players there. 
Well, it appears, at least in McLean's mind, we've got something better than that. Yeah. And I think that's just going to keep building. I think it could be the start of a new tradition for the bus. Neil makes an excellent point there. You know, steel sharpens steel. Wouldn't you love to be watching seven on seven come oh. fall? Oh. <laughs> watching these cornerbacks against those wide receivers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be, oh, you got that move. I got this one. You make that play. I'll make this one. Yeah. You're just a four, four star wide receiver. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. You think you can run past me? Good luck on that. <laughs> I mean, it's just some of that's going to be astonishing. And, and Shadur sitting there back there going, all right, here we go. <laughs> yeah. I'll just fling it down there and see what happens. They have crowds maybe at the summer seven on seven. Uh, voluntary workouts. I mean, that's going to be worth watching. Great point, Brad. Well, Travis Hunter attracts the crowd playing uh, pickup basketball games at the rec center. There are videos of that already. So, uh, oh yeah, they're they're everywhere. He's you know signing autographs, and everybody's just you know gaga to see him. Which is what we've missed. Which is what we've missed is that excitement on campus. I mean, I was always I was impressed all year until the last game with the attendance of the students. Yeah. They showed up for a team that proved itself to be terrible and, and enjoyed themselves and stayed for the game and were into the game. It wasn't just out there having a good day. And now, again, these guys are walking around as heroes on campus, and you can debate the value of having football heroes on a campus and the downside to all that stuff. But it brings in players. It brings in people. Yeah, and we haven't had that for a long time. JT Shrout was not getting stopped on his way to class. Yeah, yeah, he would. Uh, he could be anonymous without wearing the sunglasses. Um, yeah, I think that's probably anonymous a in a jersey. <laughs> well, you know, with all due respect to uh, yeah the, the team, and I guess that's a good segue into over half of the team now, if you count both the freshmen and the transfers, over half the team coming in for the 2023 season are new. So first question, Neil, is there a risk, a fear that there could be an us versus them kind of a scenario where the returning players do not feel like they are gonna be given a fair shot at starting, that they're gonna be the first one on the chopping block? Because there's going to be at least 10 to 15 of that 40 somethings um, of returning players that are still not going to make the cut come, you know, fall camp. So how does the coaching staff make the returning players feel like they've got a legitimate shot? Do you think that there's any fear that there could be a split locker room with all this transition from pre-prime to post-prime? Well, it's a good question. And it's likely that there's already some of that around now. And I think it's going to be up to the coaching staff to demonstrate that snaps will be allocated according to one's ability and one's achievement. And I think that's what, that's what Sanders has stood for, I think, all along, which is, yeah, my son's coming to play QB, but he has to earn it. I believe that. And I think that's going to be the case all the way around. And 
I think there's going to be a fair shot with old guys and new guys, and it's going to be a very Darwinian spring ball. And um, I think probably what's what will happen is a lot of the players that are here now may realize, well, you know, maybe I'm not going to get much playing time here, so it's probably better if I move on. And if we look at the people that have transferred out so far and where they've gone, with the exception of our kicker, everyone's gone down to G5 or uh, other division schools. So I'm afraid, and I was trying to think about this in preparation for tonight, is going down our roster, I haven't done it yet, and picking out those that are likely to be here come the end of fall camp. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be like a, an NFL preseason camp where you're going to have not necessarily the Turk coming around to let people know that they should bring their playbook back to the, the coaching staff, but yeah, you're either going to have to produce or you're going to have to, to move on. Brad, I was just looking at the coaches. Coach Prime talked about his 40-40-20 kind of philosophy that he wanted to have 40% graduate transfers, 40% undergraduate transfers, and only 20% high school. It's not really working out that way. I mean, no. in the sense that uh, the high school ranks probably about 20, 25% will be high school freshmen, but not a lot of graduate transfers, which was of course the only type of transfer C you could get until this year with our, wait for it, uh, what was it, pilot program. <laughs> our, our pilot, pilot program is transfers. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Remember how, how ridiculous that sounded six weeks ago and now it's absurd. But um, what do you think of the idea of, you know, getting as you know, many transfers as you can and only 20% or 25% from high school? Is that uh, what do you think of Coach Prime's philosophy of building a roster? I think it's 2023. I think letting other programs do a lot of the uh, sorting, letting other programs do a lot of the initial coaching is just the way this is going to work with the exception perhaps of Alabama and Georgia, who are always going to have their pick of five stars, having a philosophy that says, we're going to find guys who've already played, who we've, who we've got tape on and that we're going to try to get, you know, makes some degree of sense. Uh, I think honestly, when Dion said that he didn't expect this class to be quite this good. And so I think if, you know, if we start, pulling in regularly four and five stars, well, those numbers might change. But again, one of his selling points is, I can get you in the NFL. That's powerful, not just to 18-year-olds, but to guys who don't see them having a path at Georgia or Michigan or Arkansas and having them come in. And, and if he proves, it's got to be meritocracy. It's got to say, if you come in, you will get a chance to compete. Not if you come in, you will get the, the job. But if you can, if it's a meritocracy and he starts placing those guys in two or three years at the place that they want, then yeah, it's going to work. If he can take a guy who played four years at Michigan and didn't quite get everything he thought he could and can come in here and excel as a graduate transfer and at least get invited to, to a camp, yeah, that's going to work. 
Yeah. Well, Neil, let me read your quote from Coach Sanders when he's talking about why he likes the, the upperclassmen transfers. Uh, he said, those transfers, they want it right now. They've got one or two more years left, and they want it right now. They ain't got time to be playing no games. They ain't got time to be making mistakes with their career and their futures. And they don't have time for knucklehead kids to be running around and not doing their assignments, being where they're supposed to be. You'd probably agree with that, that uh, makes sense for him to bring in some older guys to be at CU for maybe only a year or two, but perhaps be the strength of the team going forward in 2023 and 2024. Well, if we have the roster turnover that we're having now and then more of it probably after spring, it's going to be critical to develop leaders. and. Those older players, the ones that have been around and the ones that have more at stake, they'll be the ones that will be the leaders on the team. And that's good to have 22 and 23-year-old guys sort of keeping the, uh, the younger players in line. And I think Brad's point is excellent. If we can place a couple of these grad transfers, either in the draft or making uh, free agent contracts, that's just going to keep the pipeline flowing. Um, so I'm quite bullish on the notion of bringing in good character, well, highly skilled, but very, very hungry graduate transfers could be, in fact, the core, as you suggest, of the team uh, in 23. Yeah, well, and for that, I mean, in terms of the, the turnover, and Jackson State, he, he he got rid of 71 players in two years. So he literally com almost completely flushed out the entire roster. And Jackson State wasn't a bad team. It wasn't competing for titles. It wasn't going undefeated in SWAC like he did it when he was there. But it wasn't a 1-11 team. But he completely got gutted the roster. And so he's at least got some experience in how to deal with that type of a locker room because he would have had to deal with that in year one at Jackson State, that there were, I'm sure, a lot of players there that didn't make the cut. You know, it's a Jackson State cut, but they didn't make the cut and would have to go, you know, look to play somewhere else. Yeah. Jackson State, he proved it was a meritocracy. You know, how do you prove that? By going undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, works for me. <laughs> in the end everything is based on the win-loss yeah and you know i do i think his turnaround at jackson state was immediate i think it probably won't be immediate cu especially given the schedule but if you win more if you play better if the best players are playing on the field then that continues to attract people yeah well Let's look at, you know, the, the chart right now. I think you can potentially make the argument that you could have an entire starting lineup of new players. Uh, certainly, Shadur Sanders at quarterback. I don't think there's, you know, the only the only quarterback left on the roster from last year is Drew Carter. Drew Carter. I mean, four other quarterbacks have left now with JT Shrout deciding to go into the transfer portal. Cavassier. Uh, I'm going to say that wrong. Last name is Smoke. I mean, we're just going to remember running back named Smoke from Kentucky. 
Uh, and the other running back that's coming in, of course, is Dylan Edwards, the Notre Dame flip, the four-star running back. Yeah. Uh, you guys have alluded to the, the wide receiver room. You know, a transfer, Jimmy Horde from USF is a four-star player. Two four-star freshmen, Adam Hopkins, Omari and Miller, to go with four other uh, high three-star wide receivers. So we're pretty well set there. Uh-huh. At tight end, one of Neil's favorite positions, Sidhu Traore. Again, another name we're going to have to learn how to say. This is going to be one of those, you know, what's the old saying? You can't tell the players without a program. We, we go to the Nebraska <laughs> game, we're going to need a freaking program um, yeah. because we're not going to know these players. But ESPN did an article about the transfers, and one of theirs was steals of the transfer portal, and Traore from Arkansas State was on that list. They think he's going to be that good. Uh-huh. Now, Neil, it might not work in the in the offensive line, your favorite place, that there are – one, two, three, four, five, six new players, but that includes a freshman. Um, but five transfers coming in, including a senior, two juniors, and two sophomores. At least there's enough bodies there to start along the offensive line with brand new players. Would you be surprised if uh, the offense rolled out this fall with nothing but transfers and brand new freshmen? Think that could think you could make that work? I'm not sure about the true freshman part because the O-line and the D-line, that requires some time in the weight room, I think, to play at this level, unless someone's just exceptional. And I'm not sure that we have any of those guys coming in as true freshmen. So I suspect that maybe Lichtenhan and maybe uh, our freshman center, I'm sorry, I'm naming Van Wells. Yeah. Yes, thank you. That those two guys may have a shot of sticking but I would not be surprised to see at least four new starters on the O-line coming from transfers. Yeah. Well, and of course, you know, there are four sophomore tight ends and we're not even, you know, talking about Jordan Tyson, who was, you know, the best player on the team before he got injured. And yeah. now we might have to fight for playing time um, in mm-hmm. the wide receiver room. Brad, you know, Maybe you, we've touched a little bit on the defense, at least in terms of the secondary. And the embarrassment of reaches. Yeah, four yeah. defensive linemen, junior or senior graduates. So obviously, in, in addition to bringing in or having two seniors in Jalen Sami and Naeem Rodman, four transfers coming in. So there was some recognition there that the defensive line had to be brought up to speed, not in a couple of years, but, you know, yesterday. Yeah, linebackers. I'm not so sure if there's. I mean, new ones since we last talked. Jordan Jordan Dominic and Taylor Upshaw are both new transfers from Arkansas and Michigan, respectively. You're talking about you know graduates coming in with time to you know this is time to make it work. Uh, The linebackers probably a little. There's three good freshmen, but only two transfers coming in. But you know, one from Clemson, Levante Bentley has. Good rankings. The I'll be quarterback. very surprised if he doesn't start or at least play a lot of snaps. Yeah, I mean the the quarterbacks are ridiculously talented. <laughs> I mean oh. when when Nico Reed. I mean you think about the two best players on the 2022 team, probably Jordan Tyson, Nico Reed. Would that be a fair? Would you guys yeah. agree with that? I mean probably the yeah. two best players on the team. Two, two players that we're probably most worried about in November 
about leaving the team. Mm-hmm. And now, while they're certainly going to be talented, certainly going to get playing time because of the positions that they're playing, that you need two or three wide receivers, you need two or three cornerbacks on every play. They're certainly going to be on the field, especially you know if Tyson's healthy enough. But they're not, I won't say afterthought, but they are not no. not primary, even Nico's in their own position, much nickel. less being the best players on the team. Yeah. I mean, Nico's going to be an excellent nickelback. And in the Pac-12, that's a starting position. Yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, let's, let's be honest about that. We're going to start five, six defensive backs on, if not start, we're going to play six defensive backs on a regular basis. You know, and that's, again, at the last podcast, Neil and I were saying, well, maybe the thing we need is a couple defense pass rushing defensive ends. And 22 minutes later, there were two more <laughs> pass rushing defensive ends showed up on the transfer portal. It's, it's yes. you know, it's very nice to know that Dion is listening. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, and short of quitting our day jobs and doing daily podcasts, you know, <laughs> We just have to accept the fact that as soon as we get off the air, as soon as we put this into the cyberspace, that something good is going to happen to the roster. Of the starting 24, because the punter and the kicker, of the starting 24, if four of them are returning starters, would you be surprised? I I think along both lines, you're going to have returning starters. I agree with Neil that Van Wells – you know, might be coming back. Lichtenhein might be coming back. I think you're going to see Rodman and Sami along the defensive line coming back. But yeah, after that, you're going to get contributions from people like Nico Reed and Nigel Bethel and uh, Devin Grant and Marvin Ham, you know, players like that. I mean, they're going to be certainly on the field a good chunk of the time, but I don't know if they're going to be starters. They are going to have to play better to be starters. I mean, that's the reality. And, you know, they were starters in the last on the last bunch because they were unquestionably the best of a bad group. Now they need to be better. And that doesn't mean they can't be. Yeah. I think Ham in particular can up his game in a better in a better coached defense. It'd be hard to yeah. imagine a worse coached defense. So, you know, we'll see. But particularly on the defense. Our defensive coordinator knows his stuff. He's no. watched all of that stuff. So I don't have any doubt that the starting lineup is going to look like the best 11 guys. And then it's going to be a different 11 guys as it goes forward. I don't think we're going to be in base a lot. Yeah. Well, Neil, I mean, a lot of these players come from Power 5 schools. you got West Virginia, Arkansas, Michigan, Clemson. Ole Miss, another arc, two two from Arkansas that are on the defense alone. But they weren't necessarily regular starters for these Power Five conference schools. So are we looking too much into the crystal ball, thinking just because they want to play for Coach Prime that they're going to be primetime players? That's a good question. Uh, Playing at this level for some of the transfers, is going to be a new experience for them. Um, the graduate transfers, probably for, uh, most of them, they've played at this level and it's not going to be a shock, but I have some concern about the ability of 
the players to meld together and pick up the new schemes. Because I'm sure that, as Brad mentioned, we're going to have a different base set and we're going to be playing a lot of nickel and dime. Uh, just learning those schemes, especially with the early schedule we have, that's going to be a key thing. So did that address your, your concern, I hope, Stuart? Well, yeah, I think what I was getting at is that, you know, I mean, Tommy Brown played at Alabama. But Tommy Brown was not a four-year starter at Alabama. You know, right. so just because they have a decal on their resume doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be, you know, all Pac-12 players. So there's still holes in the roster, and that's certainly not the fault of the coaching staff that has already turned over half of it. But there's still some issues going forward, uh, certainly on the lines and the linebackers and things like that, that will need to be addressed or try and be hidden by the coaching staff, you know, going forward. And you just mentioned it, another good segue that uh, with our, well, you both mentioned it, our schedule does not lend itself to easing into what could be considered a, you know, an easy first year. The Pac-12 schedule was announced this week. We already knew that the opener was going to be at TCU, first home game against Nebraska, and then Colorado State would be the third non-conference game. There was some chatter about CU maybe getting a week zero game against Arizona State, and that fizzled for different reasons, not related to Coach Prime talking about it on the national championship broadcast. So the Pac-12 conference schedule is released with Colorado opening the Coach Prime Pac-12 era on the road against Oregon. And then, you know, to make it a little easier on CU, they come home and play a home game. Oh, I guess it's against USC. So when you heard that the schedule had been released, Brad, and you know, your first reaction as to what the Pac-12 was doing, what the athletic directors voted on, are they excited about Coach Prime coming to the Pac-12? Is this a welcoming, him, welcoming him with open arms and saying, we wish you good luck, Coach? I think this is welcoming TV packages with open arms. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, thank heavens Colorado State sits between Nebraska and Oregon. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, you want to talk about rebuilding. That they better, they've got to be a phoenix rising from the fire to do anything this year. But anyway, yeah, no, I mean, it's we scheduled TCU in Nebraska. That's our problem. I don't love getting... Oregon and, and SC first. That said, their games that are going to—they're not going to be the last show on the on the Pac-12 network now, are they? Uh, <laughs> so you know, to the extent that any publicity is good publicity, we'll take it. We're not at their level yet. There's no reason to believe that. But you know, then you look at it. I kind of you know yeah maybe we get blown out the first two Pac-12 games. It's going to test our character anyway. We probably weren't going to beat USC and Oregon next year anyway. So let's get it out of the way and then and then have a better run at the end of the season. So, yeah, I didn't love it. And, you know, it, if uh, Lincoln Riley isn't smiling a little bit, I'd be surprised. But, you know, we were going to have to play those two teams. I'd rather play them early than late. Okay. Neil, would you 
Would you concur? I mean, we've got Arizona State also has a brand new head coach, and they play five of their first six games at home, including a game in early October against Colorado. Um, I just love the fact that CU has to play at Arizona State this year and at Washington State this year. They play in Tempe the first week of October. They play in the Palouse at Pullman on the road on a Friday night in mid-November. That strike you as a little bit strange or odd? Is there conspiracy theory to be joined here? Or is it the fact that CU already had six games against teams with nine or more wins and there's no way to stack that without having a bunch of tough games? First, I agree with Brad. It's nice to take your medicine right away, swallow the cough syrup, whatever it is, get it over with. I think that's fine. I think uh, I'll go to the cynical dismal science here for a moment and say that the scheduling probably changed a little bit after Coach Sanders was signed. And he became such a personality and he brings his own media stuff. I think a lot of the decision by the Pac-12 is let's get this guy and grab as many eyeballs as we can right away. Let's get those ratings up right now. And that to me is the reason why we're having that stuff up front is um, allowing uh, the networks to make a little more money off these games than they normally would. I don't think that we're going to have, except for maybe CSU, a game on the Pac-12 network until well into the season. Now, with regard to the Friday night stuff, we have two of those. One of them on the road, short week. We're getting hosed on that one. I mean, even, yeah. though, even though going to the Palouse probably may not be our toughest game, Washington State is tough at home. That's going to be a, uh, a hard trip. And if they get some of that rain up there, it's just going to be miserable. But the schedule overall, I'm worried more about what's going to happen at TCU because they signed a very good class too, and they're going to rebound pretty well. Nebraska, of course, is going to be looking for blood for the last couple uh, games that we've had, especially the last one in Boulder. CSU is going to be gunning for CU like it never has before. The thing they would love most is just to rain on Coach Prime's parade. That's going to be a tough game. So from the emotional side of what it's going to take from these players to stay up five weeks in a row for tough games, that's going to be a hard stretch. And it really is, as Brad said, going to really test the mettle of the staff and the players. And if they can come through that crucible with their confidence intact, then as Brad says, I think they've got a good run to play well and have a decent record the rest of the year. Well, I mean, Brad, I mean, if you have all the hype that CU is going to have, already has, and it's not inconceivable to see CU starting with a one in four start and then going on the road to play ASU, which will probably be at least three and two, if not four and one. And then, you know, getting a bye week and then sifting into lack of relevance. I mean, this is just playing into the narrative that Coach Prime isn't going to be capable of coaching a power five school. And then all the national pundits are going to say, see, we told you that he couldn't translate this from Jackson State to Colorado. And um, will that hurt the class of 24, you know, type of thing? Or 
I don't know. I mean, it just seems like like even the the other Friday night game, Stanford, it's a home Friday night game after Stanford has a bye. So Stanford has two weeks to prepare for the game. We have six days. And that's probably the second most winnable game on the schedule. So even that one has its own little thorns attached to it. But that, that being said, I mean, every fan base has a reason to bitch about whatever their schedule is going to be like and find some reason to believe that their team is being picked on. But do you think that Coach Prime, I mean, his confidence is not going to waver. I mean, that's certainly not going to be an issue. But in terms of I told you so's and we told you that they wouldn't be competitive and we told you they weren't going to be very good and we told you that, you know, he couldn't turn this program around. Is that a narrative that we might be facing in early October? Sure. I mean, it could be, depending on how we perform. On the other hand, if we play TCO closer than they played Georgia, uh, <laughs> take that shot, come on. Oh, the transit property. So if we do as well as they did and better than Oregon did, then yeah. then we're or we can just keep putting that seven to six score, a halftime score up on right. the on the balloons and say we're we did better against in the first half than anybody except for Georgia. Yeah, for Georgia. But you know, it it's gonna depend on how they play. Yeah. I you know if 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 yeah, if they if US if USC comes in and hangs 50, if you know we look hopeless against Oregon, if we let CSU hang around. Yeah, but we were always, you know, I mean, that was always going to be true. When we played them is when yes. we were going to play them. Or, you know, is we had this schedule. We were stuck with a schedule with a bunch of good teams. Not a bunch of great teams, but a bunch of good teams. That's the way we're going to have to do. So, yeah, there's going to be some of that. We could go 6-0, and and if we didn't blow everybody out, there'd be some of that. But rational folks who are paying attention the John Wilner's of the world are going to say, hey, there's improvement there. That's the key point, I think, Brad, is that CU was not competitive in almost all of its games last year, save for the Cal game. And our statistics and our rankings in various categories, always at the bottom. If what we can see is teams that are competitive into the fourth quarter, and teams that don't beat themselves, teams that have their affect, their competitive spirit intact, that's gonna be, I think, all we need to see from Carlos Sanders this year. It's gonna be an interesting fall, regardless, whether they win four games or win eight games, you know, either way, it's it, with almost any other coach, we would have been hoping to beat CSU and maybe Stanford. And we just kind of say, well, the rest of the year is not going to matter. So we've already stepped up our expectations. And with two, having two lockdown corners, that's pretty impressive right there. And having a quarterback that actually has NFL talent, you know, there's lots to be excited about in the days and weeks to come. Before we part, again for two weeks could i just ask a question about some of the timing and deadlines for example when does the transfer portal close it is and closed yesterday it closed, it closed yesterday. yesterday and it reopens again after spring ball for 30 days 
No, it uh, it was originally May 1 to May 15th, but they decided they moved it up from April. Now it's April 15th to April 30th. Okay. And so for the idea that would give players a little more time to find another school. So I, I don't think we've had spring practices and dates and spring games announced, but April 15th is when the portal will reopen. And that's good because there's a lot of misstatements being made on the message boards. The transfer portal closing just means that players can't declare that they're in the transfer portal. They have to notify their school. Then it goes into the database of the transfer portal. That doesn't mean that the players that are in the transfer portal can't transfer. The transfer portal for players transferring in remains open as long as they can qualify and be eligible. It's okay. more of an issue now that the fact that classes have started at the University of Colorado and other places for whether or not they're going to be available for spring practices and things like that. But they can say, they can sign on and say, I'm committed to X school and at any time once you're in the portal. So the portal only closed for those players that want to be in the portal, which is why JT Shrout and wide receiver Maurice Bell in the last minute said that no, they wanted to be in the, the transfer portal. So it is closed until April 15th. It'll reopen again for two weeks for any player or players that are on current rosters, including the University of Colorado, that didn't make the cut or aren't going to make the cut and want to have the opportunity to look for another school. One more question, Professor, if I may, um, <laughs> which is, it used to be that a school could only sign 25 players and had to come to camp with 85. Can they, it only matters now coming to fall practice with 85 and the number of new people that you sign is no longer a constraint. Is that right? Correct. The 25 number went away. The 85 number applies when fall camp opens or 30 days before the first game, which is generally when the, so we're talking roughly August 1st, you know, there was somebody posting and said, well, what happens on, you know, half an hour before kickoff, they have 90 players on the team. There's no way that there would be 90 scholarship players on the team a half an hour before kickoff because every FBS school has to be down to 85 scholarship players come the opening of fall camp. Now, what happens between now and August 1st is anybody's guess. Now, there's the potential that CU might gray shirt some of the class of 2023, especially, you know, offensive line, uh, defensive line. There's only a couple offensive linemen, but maybe a wide receiver, something like that. They might gray shirt them. They wouldn't enroll at CU until January of 2024. They wouldn't count against the roster in 2023. So, again, that's going to count about how many players you're going to want to sign for the class of 2024 because now they're shifting their eligibility. But they could potentially gray shirt and not be a part of the, the roster this fall. The other thing is some players might say, well, I'm going to stick with my scholarship offer. In other words, I'm going to continue on at school. They might give them a medical retirement or they might just stay on as a scholarship um, individual and not be on the team. So CU might end up paying for 10 or 12 scholarship players 
their tuitions for the next couple of years till they graduate, use up their eligibility. But these are competitive young men. They believe, you know, again, going back to my interview series for, you know, last spring, I interviewed 21 players. Every single one of them thought they were going to the NFL. And that was for a one in 11 team. So, you know, it's not ego. It's just self-belief. It's confidence, however you want to phrase it. But they think they're going to be able to play in the NFL. And they just need the opportunity to do that, an opportunity to showcase their talents. So my guess is a lot of these players that don't make the roster for CU will enter the portal um, come April 15th. They're not going to stick around and say, I'm going to stick it to Coach Sanders and Rick George and make them pay for my tuition so I can get my general studies degree. <laughs> of course, sorry, CU doesn't have a general studies degree. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's just another one of our uh, temporary need a pilot project. Pilot project. <laughs> We are catchphrase for the whole year is a pilot project, pilot program. So there will be some, maybe a handful that will take advantage of the opportunity to get their education at the University of Colorado. Say, I got my bodies beat up. I want to have a full life and I'm getting my school paid for. I'm not going to be on the team, but I still have scholarship money to, uh, to pay for my education. Nice work if you can get it. Yeah, well, they, they earned a scholarship at some point. So, I mean, they were, you know, talented enough in somebody's eyes that they were deserving of a scholarship at an FBS, you know, Division One Power 5 school. So, how's that? Can I uh, now wish you a happy January and happy skiing and let you uh, move on to bigger and better things? And thank you for being here. Thank you very much. I appreciate that because um, I was confused and perhaps some of our some of our listeners might have been as well. So thank you for the clarification. Uh, Look forward to seeing you guys in two weeks. This has been great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Brad. Take care, everybody. Take care, Brad. No buffs. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation, which is finally being rewarded for its loyalty. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are proud to be a part of their podcast network. As before, you can find the See What the Game podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. When you get a chance, please leave us a review and a five-star rating to help us get the word out. Now, again, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all the episodes can be listened to at the See with the Game website. I'll be back in two weeks with Neil and Brad as we discuss signing day two with an updated look at the CU roster heading into spring practices. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.